Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We've heard far too much from Paul Bernardo. And he's going to be heard from again in a matter of weeks when his parole hearing starts. Once again, Bernardo will be in the uh, parole board office with the French and Mahaffey families and with Tim Danson, longtime lawyer for Doug and Donna French and Debbie Mahaffey. But there's also a story over the last number of days, as I'm sure you have heard, that uh, Bernardo had wanted to make a statement to media, and that didn't happen because Correctional Service Canada stepped in. And so Bernardo didn't get his chance to talk to media. His lawyer could have, I guess. And there's been some complaining that CSE didn't have any right to uh, infringe on Mr. Bernardo's rights. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about Bernardo's rights, rights to engage in the conjugal um, trailer at Kingston Prison when we asked about that, when a guard got in touch with me. CSC said, well, it's none of your business. Mr. Bernardo has his rights. Tim Danson joins us on the Roy Green Show. Tim, thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. What's the story now behind Bernardo and his desire to issue a statement to the media shortly before his parole hearing? Well, as as I understand it through an Access to Information Act request from a media member, uh, he wanted to respond to uh, what we were saying in opposition to his transfer from maximum security to medium security, and he wanted to communicate that through his uh, through his lawyer. And and you know, I can tell you, I have I have mixed feelings on this, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Of course, the families would wish that they would never hear the name Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka again. The families wish that they didn't have to go through the gut-wrenching experience of preparing every two years a victim impact statements to respond to uh, his parole hearing. And, um, and I must say, just recently, he, he has, and he has the right to do this unilaterally, he's, he's now moved his, uh, his um, uh, parole hearing, which we've been preparing for, for next month, which is very significant emotionally for the families, and he's pushing it off until February, and then he could push it off again, which is just simply re-victimizing the victims. It's unfair. But having said that, um, and this is perhaps the, the irony, uh, I, there's two ironies, ironies to this. One, um, because he is Exhibit A, uh, every time he opens up his mouth at these parole hearings, uh, it, it, mili- it militates strongly against him. So in that sense, in that sense uh, alone, I wouldn't mind him speaking for no other reason than I know uh, that he'll be sabotaging his own uh, argument for release. He just has that uh, uncanny ability to do that. But the other irony is, is that um, according to this uh, um, uh, access information uh, documentation that they obtained, that um, CSC um, uh, uh, kind of stepped in to prevent him or to persuade him not to make a public statement through his lawyers out of, out of uh, care uh, and sympathy for the families. And for me, that's the irony, because when it really counts, when the families have brought their own Access to Information Act request for the very documentation that Paul Bernardo relies upon to persuade the parole board to relieve him from the full consequences of his life sentence and his dangerous offender application, so he can be released on parole, be back into the community. 
when we wanted those documentations, and Paul Bernardo says, no, my privacy rights are more important than the victim's rights and the public's right to transparency, uh, Corrections Canada and the Pro Board and the Government of Canada sided with uh, Paul Bernardo. Uh, likewise, when we sought the documentation that the parole board and corrections must rely upon to discharge their public safety mandate, uh, they said that Bernardo's privacy rights trumped those of the victims and the public interest in transparency. So, um, you know, when they say for, for this particular communication that they're concerned about the victims, when it really counts, uh, they've always taken Bernardo's side and, and not the, the victims of the public's uh, side. And that issue now is on a leave application before the Supreme Court of Canada. And of course, Corrections Canada and the Parole Board and the Government of Canada are opposing us. So we judge people by what they do, not by what they say. That's just a, a horrific series of points you just made. And, and the, and the um, French Mahaffey families don't seem to, to count as far as the system is concerned. They were always also issued by the court until you corrected things with a $4,000 fine, were they not? That's correct. I mean, again, that, that's actually a good point, Roy, um, uh, that, yeah, even, even at the first level of, of the proceedings in the federal court, uh, we were not successful, and uh, they sought costs against the families and, uh, and obtained it. Uh, and then when we were on the eve of the appeal for the uh, federal court of appeal, uh, they realized that this was not going to look well in court, and they withdrew the. They said they weren't going to enforce that. So again, you know, if they if they ever do the right thing, it's because uh, we kind of hold the hold their feet to the fire, and um, and so we're, we're we're certainly hoping that um, that the Supreme Court of Canada will grant leave, and we can finally decide what kind of privacy rights um, uh, sadistic sexual murderers like. Uh, and psychopaths like Paul Bernardo have over victims and the public interest, because there is nothing more fundamental to our democracy than transparency. And how can the public determine whether or not our corrections parole system is functioning properly if the critical documents that they rely upon uh, are kept secret? You couldn't do that in a trial, civil or criminal. Why? Why? Um, Oh, and, and let me let me just emphasize that we do have a piece of legislation that everybody seems to, at least the government, continually ignores, which is the Canadian Victims' Bill of Rights. That's a statute of the Parliament of Canada, and it itself says that all federal legislation must be interpreted in a manner that's consistent with the Canadian Victims' Bill of Rights, and importantly, as a legal matter, that not that we needed this, but it, it's actually a matter of statutory law that the corrections parole system is an integral part of our criminal justice system. So how is it that our entire criminal justice system is transparent, and then we get into our correctional parole system, and they prefer secrecy? But they always play lip service to uh, how, how open they are, but, but they're not. You know, I, I know you don't like my mentioning this, but I'm going to. Well, first of all, I don't know if you mind my mentioning that I've known you for 35 years and that we've spent much time on the air and talking off, off the air much time, but you've been the lawyer for the French and Mahaffey families since the 90s, and you have represented those families with such tremendous professionalism and personal great care, and you've never billed them for one cent. So it needs to be said, Tim Danson, you're a great lawyer and an even greater human being. Well, you know, uh, thank you. I have to say that uh, in my, in one sense, I think I'm being paid richly because I'm supporting a family and a cause uh, that needs to be fought. And that's worth more than all the money in the world. 
Uh, I, I, I could say it again, and you are both of those things. I admire you so much, and I'm honored to know you. Now, what is going to shock many people across this country listening to this program right now is that Paul Bernardo can make the decision as to when he wants a parole hearing to take place. So he doesn't want it in November. He wants it in February. So he can, he can, I, you know what, Tim, I didn't even know that. And I've been in this, around this justice system for decades now. Oh, yeah, we've had cases where they, he's put them off uh, six times. And so the families, uh, and, and we've objected to this, and this should require legislative change. I, I have even stronger views on, on people like Paul Bernardo, who fortunately represent 1% or half percent of the criminal population or the prison population in our federal institutions. So we're talking about the exception to the rule. But once he has his first hearing uh, after 25 years, uh, and the parole board makes the findings that they do, even after 25 years, he has no insight into his crime. He talks about his crime like you and I would talk about the weather. He has no remorse. He has no empathy. The, the medical evidence against him is overwhelming. There's no cure for psychopathy. So for people like that, and I want to emphasize for these particular kind of offenders, his next parole hearing shouldn't be every two years. It should be five or seven years. Um, uh, but then what he, you know, every two years he has a hearing. And then he can keep putting it off. So it's like an emotional yo-yo for the families. Like, I've been engaging them recently to get ready for this November parole hearing. And as I said, it's very difficult for the families. It brings everything back. They're there to defend the memories of their daughters and to have justice and make sure that Paul Bernardo doesn't get a free ride at his parole hearing and doesn't hear the voice of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey and the victims. And then all of a sudden, you know, as, as this gut-wrenching process occurs, we, we, get a, we, we get a call saying, oh, never mind, it's going to be in February. And so then there's that big letdown, you know, the adrenaline you know, drops, and, and then they get very depressed. And then they got to get worked up again in February. And then he has the right to change it again in February. And then we even had a case when um, the French's, the Donna and Doug French were going on a vacation, which they are entitled to do. And, and it was in the month at the earmark for Paul Bernardo's uh, hearing. And I wanted assurances that it wasn't going to happen during the time of their vacation. And they wouldn't do that. They said they used their best efforts. In the end, it didn't conflict. But they don't even give the decency to the family. Uh, like we have an all-court proceeding. Okay, we're not going to schedule it during the week that you've scheduled a year ago. You're going to be on holiday. So this is the kind of insensitivity uh, that is, um, is deeply disturbing. And so the Frenches and the Mahafis have to write a brand new victim's impact statement after all this time, after the trial, after the imprisonment. They have to write a new viz uh, for the new parole hearing then. I, I, that's another one thing I didn't know, Tim. Yeah, well, they do. it, But what happens is, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, similar themes in their previous victim impact statements, and we update them. But one of the big things that we do is that we because because the only constant at these parole hearings uh, is the is the is the families uh, and myself and other parole hearings where I, I represent uh, police officers who've been murdered and the police associations are there particularly the Toronto Police Association it's part of our litigation that's before the Supreme Court of Canada and um, and we're the constant but it, with each pan, each each parole hearing you have a different composition there's a different panel members and so. In our victim impact statements, we're the ones who are sitting in the, in the hearing room, and and we're and we hear the offender changing his his evidence, uh, and the parole board's not aware of it, so they don't zero in on the question. 
which is why as part of our, our Access to Information Act uh, request, we want uh, produced for the public and for the family so they can do more informed victim impact statements, the transcript of what occurred at the previous hearing. We can get a transcript of any criminal civil trial. Why can't we get the transcript of a public parole hearing so that we can inform the parole board of this change in evidence? And quite frankly, in Paul Bernardo's case, um, last parole hearing he had, I'm going by memory, but I think it was about a 40-minute presentation that he presented. And that's why I say he was Exhibit A. But it's not just that the public has a right to hear every word that he said and would see that, um, I mean, it's just shocking what he has to say, how he sees life, but his tone of voice, because that's where you really understand that he talks about his crimes, like you and I would talk about the weather. And this is the kind of information that the public is entitled to hear uh, and come to its own evaluation when the parole board renders their decision or correction, the case management team takes a position for or against release for the, for the offender, whether or not everybody's doing uh, their job. And as long as things are done transparently, justice will more likely be done. And, um, and, and you know, we were not successful. Uh, and as I say, we have that issue now on a leave application before the Supreme Court of Canada. So hopefully, you know, we will, we will have a chance to, uh, if we get leave, to put this before the nine-judge panel of the court. So I've never asked you this question before, but it occurred to me while you were just explaining to us uh, the, what goes on in your last answer, is there any chance that Carla Homolka could be summoned to a Bernardo parole hearing? No, no, they, 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 they can't do that. Um, and, of course, that would not... Uh, you know, that would not advance anything at this point. I mean, right now they, they work on, Good. you know, the psychological, you know, profile. Uh, but, you know, one other point I wanted to make, you know, uh, Roy, if I, we have time, which is this sure. transfer from, the, from, 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 from maximum security to medium security, which we objected to. And then the uh, Corrections Canada did their, you know, I think it was a whitewash uh, internal hearing uh, uh, or investigation, I should say. And they determined that they had fully complied with the law. And I don't know if I agree with that or not, but let's just say, for the sake of argument, let's say they did comply with the law. They did everything right. But we have a prime minister and, and the minister and other political leaders standing up in the floor of the House of Commons and outside the House of Commons saying that that transfer was outrageous and shocking and could not be justified. So when Corrections Canada comes out with its report and says, well, we complied with the law, how can the government allow a law that they say themselves, not my words, their words, that it's shocking and unacceptable and outrageous to stand. Just change the law. It needs to be changed. I don't get it. And when the families ask me that question, and they have, Tim, how, what's the answer to this question? They said that this was outrageous and shocking, but they're not doing anything about it. And that's what brings public cynicism and disrespect towards our political system and the administration of justice. And that's, that's really uh, sad and not necessary. Yeah. It is sad, and what Bernardo, I'm I'm sure, is doing uh, now that he's in medium security in Quebec, and that's been essentially certified. He's chipping away at the option, the opportunity of obtaining incremental release from prison at some time down the road, and people laugh and scoff about that. But Tim, given the fact that first degree murderers have been paroled and are living even today, openly and freely in Canadian society. Do you have the slightest concern 
that that could happen to Bernardo at some time, that he could be given at some time down the road an opportunity to leave the prison, even if it's for a couple of hours here and there. Well, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. It's an important question. I, I can say this. Um, I, I, I think that um, uh, we don't take anything for granted. Uh, we are not complacent. Uh, we take every parole hearing seriously. And we, we put what we believe to be is the best case and the best facts forward for the parole board uh, to uh, make sure that he never gets out. And, you know, uh, I agree with, um, with, the, with the, our trial judge, uh, Chief Justice Lesage, uh, when he declared Paul Magder a dangerous offender, he said, among many uh, other things, that you, you, you must spend the rest of your life in jail, meaning no parole. So um, my, 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 my instinct tells me that as long as we keep up the good fight, uh, he'll never get out. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think he'll get out. I think he's in that category that is, is just um, unthinkable. Okay. Um, uh, if, 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 if he was ever released, uh, uh, to borrow a phrase from Jim Stevenson when they let uh, Joseph Fedricks out, all you have to do is set your watch uh, before the next victim. Yes. And that would surely happen uh, with Paul Bernardo. Yes. So my sense is, is that he, he will not be released. But we cannot take anything for granted, and we cannot be complacent. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.